This is The Real Pulse, a podcast series where RBC Capital Markets experts share their insights on the latest trends and opportunities in commercial real estate. Welcome to The Real Pulse. I'm your host, Nareed Altman. It is often said that when the U.S. sneezes, Canada catches a cold. And it's true that the trends we see emerging in the U.S. are often a precursor to what we will experience here in Canada. So understanding the impacts of rising interest rates, growing inflation, and the geopolitical climate on U.S. real estate markets may provide some important insights into what trends we will see playing out in Canada for the balance of the year. Today, I am joined by Tom Porcelli, Chief U.S. Economist, RBC Capital Markets, who will share a U.S. view as to how today's rapidly changing dynamics will play out in real estate markets. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Tom, the U.S. consumer was feeling pretty good coming out of the pandemic with increased savings, strong demand for labor, and a booming economic backdrop. Fast forward to the spring of 2022, and things aren't feeling quite as rosy. What is the state of the U.S. consumer today? Yeah, they're in a they're in a tricky spot. Uh, you know, we've been highlighting this for quite some time, and so it bears repeating. You know, when you think about the plight of the the bottom half of the income spectrum, um, you know, the reality there is they have um, they have used up all of that excess saving that that they were given, um, and that's been true now for the last couple of quarters. In fact, um, you know, we've had some earnings um, reports um, just over the course of the last week. That have really sort of driven this home. Um, you know, these reports have highlighted the sort of the lower end income consumer is starting to really back away, and so that is an unfortunate reality for where we are with the, the lower income consumer. But I, I don't think the challenges are limited um, to the bottom half of the income spectrum. I think you have to consider the you know the upper income are now dealing with a negative wealth effect uh, associated with the fact that the equity market is down what as of this recording seventeen or eighteen percent from the highs. And so there are challenges, there are different challenges, but challenges up and down the income spectrum. And the, the other thing I think is, you know, really worth highlighting is this, this idea that people keep on saying, hey, that, you know, the, the consumer is in pretty decent shape, their balance sheets are in good shape, they're sitting on a lot of cash. Uh, that, that, is, that does a massive disservice to this entire conversation um, because people are looking at that in the aggregate. And you can guess where most of that excess cash, what remains, um, you could guess who's holding it. It's mostly the um, sort of the up, the upper income. And again, we've written about this many times. And so I think you just have to be mindful. You know, the upper income doesn't need excess saving to go out and spend. Um, in fact, most of that excess saving would probably not be used for spending. It would probably be used for investment. Um, so I think that there are a lot of these challenges right now. Um, you know, just a couple of other things um, to layer on top of that. I think you have to keep in mind that the think about what's happening to the price of basics, right? Food, rent, gasoline. They have been relentlessly high um, and we expect that they will remain high. And so this is, you know, eating into um, a disproportionate share relative to what it always eats into of disposable income. And so that is yet one of these other challenges. If, if there's anything that, you know, you could sort of I don't know, take away as a, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be so bad from the consumer side of the equation is, you know, they are now dipping into credit. They're now using credit more. We've seen a real sort of surge in credit over recent weeks. And so that could sort of keep things buoyant here um, for a bit of time, but no one should think otherwise. There are a number of challenges on the consumer front. 
hopefully one thing that may combat some of those challenges is wage growth. Mm -hmm. But you're right to point out we're also seeing rapid inflation. So how do you see the dual effect of wage growth and inflation impact consumers' demand for goods? And I guess as a follow-on for our sector, demand for retail real estate and fulfillment space. Yeah, you know, I think that the problem um, is, it, and, and you're right, it, it, you know, wages are, are performing well in nominal terms, but you have to adjust that for inflation. So in real terms, you know, real wages are, are actually in negative territory. And so it's it's really it's not a buffer. In fact, it, it's quite the opposite. It it, it actually becomes more of a um, uh, more of a it presents even more of a challenge um, in that context that you know the wages aren't keeping up with with inflation. Um, we we don't think that dynamic will continue you know for years to come. Um, in fact, I think that's probably a challenge limited to this year. I think next year um, inflationary pressures will have slowed. Um, and so you can get into a better spot from a, a wage dynamic perspective, but for the more uh, immediate term, uh, those challenges are going to be very present uh, and likely um, not fade. So maybe some softness this year for our space, but uh, hopefully looking forward to a, a brighter future. I wanted to continue on the theme of, um, you know, I asked about fulfillment space and continuing on the theme yeah. of industrial. With recent challenges to our supply chain caused by the pandemic, weather events, and geopolitical instability, do you see more U.S. companies bringing manufacturing back on U.S. soil, creating even more demand for industrial real estate? I do. I think for your sector, I think to me that that is going to be one of these sort of fantastic structural um, dynamics that play out um, uh, over time. I mean, I think that's the important idea to, to keep in mind. This will play out over time. But but I, I think that this this is one of the great stories um, that exists out there because it, it has so many corollaries. So let's just talk about that a little bit. So for starters, yes, I do think that the onshoring slash nearshoring is very real. I would submit to you that it's already underway. Um, companies are already planning exactly what they want to do in, in that regard. I think the supply chain is about to shift. In fact, I would, again, submit to that. I think it has already started shifting. And there are going to be certain sectors that I think are really primed to be on or near shore. I think tech and pharmaceuticals, they come immediately to mind. Um, I don't think it's limited to that, but those are, uh, I think, obvious ones. Um, I think when, when I think about this idea I think a lot of different things come into play with regard to that. Now, one of the key sort of themes that we've been trying to push is this idea that even if you do get this on or near shoring, I think most people believe that this will lend itself to you know even additional inflationary pressure. I would take the other side of that. I actually think that companies right now, um, cognizant of, of bringing some of the supply chain back on shore, I think they're, very, they're acutely aware of, of the inflation implications of that, and I think they're trying to figure out ways to mitigate that. And the classic mitigant in that regard is productivity. And I think what, what you're going to see, I would submit, is over the coming years, you could see a, a, a potential you know, sort of mini productivity boom take place. And I think a lot of things have really sort of put in motion this idea. I think you can go as far back as the, um, the trade war. I think the trade war really started this conversation of, you know, sort of on slash near shoring. I think, you know, fast forward to the pandemic, 
Um, I think that that just added even more um, emphasis to this idea. I think you can, you know, as a result, in part as a result of that, I think you have to remember that, you know, companies, they were desperately trying to get workers, were having a really hard time doing it. And when they did, they had a, you know, basically bid up wages in a, in a very significant way. I think companies want to try to mitigate that. And the great way of doing that is productivity. And I think you'll see productivity permeate sectors that probably people aren't even imagining right now. You know, like most time, most of the times people think of productivity, they think of like an assembly line, right? They think of like Ford or GM or et cetera. But I think productivity is going to show up in, in, in places that will surprise people. I think productivity will show up in um, collecting uh, uh, trash, they're trying to put, um, you know, robotic arms on these, and that they're they're doing it now. Put robotic arms on on these um, trucks, so that you know you could basically you don't have to have as many people working on the trucks um, as you did in the past. Um, butchering, right? Like who would have thought butchering, right? Like literally butchering meat. You know that's a highly skilled job, but there's technology out there now. Um, where you can actually um, use a robotic arm to, to basically help butcher. So, so my point in saying this is, I think it's going to be up and down the sort of the, the various sectors where you'll see a lot of a lot of productivity gains. I think it's I think it's one of the most important stories that's not being talked about. Well, I'm not sure how I feel about the robotic butcher, but I'll look forward to seeing that in my grocery store. <laughs> uh, so I, I can't let you go without asking you about your views on the housing market. What do you see as the impact of rising interest rates on demand for and pricing of homes in the U.S.? And do you think it will increase the demand for rental as mortgages become less affordable? Yeah. So housing, you know, here in the U.S., you know, we're, we're speaking um, during a week where we've received more housing data. Housing is having a hard time right now. Um, that's the polite way of saying it. And, and I think it's going to continue to have a hard time. The, the rise in mortgage rates has been meaningful um, and as I think, you know, people appreciate, um, you know, housing is almost always about the average buyer. And right now, the average buyer is basically being priced out thanks to um, the, the rise in rates, the, the rise in home prices. And so um, home sales are, are really starting to slow here. Um, and I would even add slow, slow fairly quickly. Um, I think what's going to follow is home prices. Um, uh, it'll, it'll follow with a bit of a lag because I do think you'll have some of these fence sitters that are just out there waiting um, for some home to just, you know, uh, pop up on the market. They've been desperately trying to find a house. And so I think once a house that suits their needs pops in, they'll leap at it. Um, but that's the, you know, that's sort of the marginal buyer at, at, at this point. Um, you know, sort of the average buyer is now, um, I think, dealing with uh, all of these challenges that I mentioned a moment ago. So I, I think I think it's very easy to make the case that you could see housing slow and slow pretty dramatically this year. You know, the if again, if there's any silver lining I think one of the things that you know needs to be thought uh, remembered is yes, the Fed is engaged in a hiking cycle right now, um, but I think an open question is not sure how long that cycle is going to be able to go on for. And once the hiking part of it ends, that means the easing cycle is probably not far behind. And I think that's one of the things that the market is going to have to um, st start to sort of uh, come to grips with because I, all I keep on hearing from people is still the notion that hey, the Fed is going to keep on hiking and there's more 50 basis point rate hikes in front of us. Um, I'm not hearing the conversation about rate cuts. Um, and I think that's going to surprise people at, at how fast that, that actually arrives. Well, there's certainly no shortage of interesting data to watch. Tom, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. I'm Nareed Altman, and this is The Real Pulse. This has been an RBC Capital Markets production. 
You can subscribe to The Real Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Amazon. Or visit our website, rbccm.com slash therealpulse. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.